I, I think of unplugging in the same way that I think of a regular workout routine, right? You don't you don't hit biceps every day, right? You you want to actually give uh, you know some flex time so that things can actually stretch and grow and rebuild, and and then you're ready for the next round. Hey, thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe, where we are hacking the leadership code. Today, the uh, the hack that we're tackling is the importance of unplugging. Yeah, Brian, that's that's uh, interesting. You bring up that topic, considering you were just in what Thailand for a month, right? So that's right. Yeah. So just just tell me a little bit about how important that is for you. I guess uh, you know this is one of the kind of the topics that was top of your mind and uh, yeah so just tell me how you unplugged a little bit being halfway across the world from denver colorado where you normally spend every day unfortunately it, it wasn't a full retraction of the plug it was just a partial one but <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that's right <laughs> sometimes that can be just as effective i i think of unplugging in the same way that i think of a regular workout routine right you don't you don't hit biceps every day, right? You, you want to actually give, uh, you know, some flex time so that things can actually stretch and grow and rebuild and, and then you're ready for the next round. So, uh, so that to me, it's, it's just kind of that simple. I mean, your, your focus is better if, uh, if you give your, your gray matter muscle, um, a little bit of that opportunity to disconnect as well. Like that day. So, so I shouldn't be doing curls every day is what you're telling me? Well, you know, you may have a different coach than I do, but uh, <laughs> the way I was trained, no, no. You want to you wanna go through some alternating reps. You know, I was going to say, I don't know if you've ever seen Nick in a T-shirt, but that guy, biceps all day. It's Man, like, Ronan yeah. Janitor. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where where are we going with this? Uh, well, I think yeah. I think we're we're to, to piggyback on yeah the 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 metaphor about muscles is a good one. You know, you really need that recovery time, and when I'm no you know physiologist, but when you really do build the muscle in the days that you're recovering, you're you're really breaking it down while you're working out. And um, I can't tell you how many problems I've solved at work while I'm on vacation, I'm sitting on a boat in the middle of the ocean fishing and it's just like, hits me. Oh, well, that's a simple solution to this thing I've been trying to fix for six weeks. Um, but I think your brain needs that time, that, that unconscious time to, to make connections rather than trying to force it through. Yeah, I do too. You know, as a, in, in, thinking back to my, my days as a programmer, I, I think that was, you know, something that, it, really sort of uh, raised my awareness to the fact that the, the brain works in some pretty weird ways. You know, I'd be stuck on uh, some some type of programming subroutine and could not for the life of me figure out what is it going to take to make this thing work. And then you, you step away from it for a few hours or you, or you go home and you go to bed that night and you wake up and miraculously you have an answer and it's 
and it's one that's actually really simple and elegant, you know, nine times out of ten in my own experience. It's funny you bring up the, the thing about programming, Brian, because uh, that's one of those things where, where it's just like an intense activity and you're thinking through a lot of logic. And I, I don't know about you, Brian, but I, I've spent times where I couldn't get something to work and I didn't know why and I looked at it for hours and somebody comes by, they're like, oh, you're missing a semicolon there. God dang it! I like I spent you know <laughs> right. eight hours trying to figure out why this wouldn't compile, reconfigure it, redo it, and I was missing one thing. But it's it's like you said, if I was taking that time to just walk away, right, instead of trying to just plug away at it and get it done, I would have probably been more beneficial to me and my projects and my team to just you know step back and not think about it for a minute. Yeah, when we think of all the various ways that we're connected today. You know, the fact is, uh, you know, here we are, you know, interacting with each other remotely. We're all in different physical locations and, you know, we're dependent on, uh, you know, this vast array of connection points bringing us together so that we can interact in this conversation. Meanwhile, uh, you know, you're probably like me, you got your phone right next to you and, you know, you got to make sure that when you're in a meeting, you're hitting do not disturb on that so that you don't have that thing chiming away because it's in inevitable that it will. And it's not just from uh, text messages. It's from a variety of different types of platforms, you know, that uh, that are all vying for our attention at any given time. And when your focus is pulled in that many different directions, um, you know, we've heard about multitasking not really being uh, an effective strategy, you know, it, it used to be something that I aspired to, you know, oh yeah, I can do four or five different things at the same time. And you really can't, you, you really can't have the dedicated focus that you need to do any one of those things. Well, um, maybe, maybe I was able to multitask on, you know, a handful of things, but I wasn't actually able to accomplish them to the degree of quality right, that I was actually aiming for. Does that seem to be yeah, true for you? I think multitasking itself is is the misnomer, right? It's you really can't. You're really just task switching, um, and maybe again, I'm not a physiologist, but maybe it's something. To, you know, you're sympathetic versus parasympathetic. You know, I can breathe and type at the same time. In that way, I can multitask. Um, you know, I don't have to hold my breath, type a sentence, and then and go. But when it comes to trying to do, you know, I can I can handle these text messages and record the podcast while also keeping an eye on this work meeting, you're, there's just, you're not going to do it. You're going to switch back and forth and then you're going to get back to that one thing and realize, Oh, I, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention at all. Um, and that's something, frankly, I've been guilty of a lot in this, this new virtual environment post pandemic is I'm on teams all day. There's 20 chats going on with my team and I'm in a meeting and I got an email and, Oh, I just want to send this person this quick note. And then it's, Hey, what do you think about that, John? And I'm like, I just got to admit, I, I'm sorry. I did that thing I said I'm not going to do anymore. I was looking at a chat window. I was handling something real quick. Could you? I'm, I'm really sorry. Could you restate your question? Um, and, you know, there might be a few circumstances where that's okay. Hey, if something's truly urgent, use that little urgent indicator and let me know, and, and I'll excuse myself from the meeting to handle it. But nine times out of ten, I'm just wasting other people's time or my own um, by not being focused on, on what it is I'm trying to do. But it's difficult in this modern environment. You know, I got two monitors. I can have a meeting and my chat up at the same time and feel like I'm getting more things done or feel like I'm available to my team. But really, I'm, I'm giving neither of those things uh, their due their due attention. Uh, it's the uh, the Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec. You know, never <laughs> never half ass two two things, whole ass one thing. Um, I think that's the uh, 
the mantra I try to live by, but I, I fail quite frequently. Yeah, that's, that's um, you know, I like that you brought that up, too, and it, it's kind of difficult to unplug now. You know, depending on when you're listening to this, we're recording this in, you know, 2020, and everyone kind of knows what's happened, and a lot of people went remote, and it's it's easy when you're remote, like you said, to be on a Zoom or a Teams or WebEx or whatever and have your email open and be doing something else. Um, but then when you switch and you go into the office and you're in front of people, it's super noticeable when you're doing that. Like you said, right, right, John? Mm-hmm. At some point, I feel like when, for me, at least when I'm with people, I like to put my laptop away or down a phone. If my phone's out of, if I'm expecting an urgent call because maybe a server's melting or something and I'm in a meeting, I just put my phone on the desk and I put it face down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like there's little ways you can still kind of be plugged in, but unplugged at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. I had an influential business leader that I worked for uh, for many years and something that um, I learned from him was, you know, when, when it's time for you to be engaged in a meeting, whether it's a one-on-one or a team meeting, whatever it is, clear your desk, maybe even orient your chair in a different direction than you would normally sit when you're working so that there is a physiological aspect to it that now connects you to, you know, mentally, this is direct focus time. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's more than just a courtesy to the person that you're interacting with. It, it really is making an effective use of that time. It, it may actually be time-saving as well, right? Whereas the perception tends to be multitasking is time-saving because we're doing we're getting so much done all at once. Actually having the dedicated focus may shorten the amount of time that you need to have that interaction mm-hmm. because it's much higher quality uh, communication taking place. Yeah. Yeah, that's really a great thing. And there's there's a couple books that come to mind. There's uh, there's Atomic Habits. I think it's James Clear and uh, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. I think is the name. But it talks about how you, sometimes you really do need those physical triggers to make sure you're in the right psychological state for whatever activity it is that you're trying to build a good habit on. So that that rings really true. And what also came to mind was uh, the the Jocko Willink thing. He's all about detachment, right? And he's he's recommended, I think, in one of his books to like physically move yourself back a little bit from the table in a meeting, and it kind of triggers that seeing what's going on rather than being what's in going on. And and I've done that. I've physically been in a meeting, especially. In a lot of a lot of places I work, I'm I'm rarely the smartest person in the room. You know, there's I'm I'm what I would describe. I'm, I'm probably a generalist in a lot of ways, right? Uh, I think I'm I'm good at managing and leading, but when it comes to incredibly technical things like the coding you guys were just talking about, it's like right over my head. So where I can add value is being the connector of dots between people who might get micro focused on some of that technical stuff and just. That's one way I try to add value when I'm like, hey, they're talking about something that's just totally beyond me, but. I guess I can try to help. So like, let me, let me detach myself a little bit from what's going on. And Hey, Nick, that thing you said, I didn't totally understand, but it sounded a little bit like that thing Brian said a little while ago. Um, is there a connection there? And then, you know, I won't say I'm the the mastermind light bulb of every meeting, but every once in a while, Hey, that's, that's a good connection. Um, so I would encourage people to really try that technique though, is, is the long, (laughs) the long conclusion of that story is that if you can physically detach from something a little bit, um, it really does trigger your brain to see, see the whole board, you know, if it, if to use the chess analogy. Yeah. Going back to the question they asked at the beginning of the episode, Nick, in terms of kind of what was the end result of my being able to detach, 
just the opportunity to have that mental refresh so that you do come back it's it's almost you know like hitting reset on on your pc or something right it's like there's too many of these connections that are all sitting there latent but they are all demanding some kind of energy from you you know they're they're pulling your attention for one reason or another and um and you know just just having a, a vacation once a year really isn't sufficient i don't think depending on what kind of work that you do you know it, it's um i think it's important you know not only to have that recovery time and that that mental refresh time but for me as a as a daily meditator i know we've talked about this before it's something that it, it's part of what happens every day for me and you know we've, we've talked about this i think on prior episodes where um you know the question's been asked to me about yeah but you know i don't have 15 minutes every day you know to just sit there and breathe and not do anything and so part of my recommendation is to move beyond thinking of it as not doing anything it's actually doing something very deliberately um and that for me ends up being an anchor in my personality and and the way that i choose to respond versus react right not not finding myself getting emotionally pulled into things and being able to be reflective and and kind of detached so it's sort of a corollary john i think to a degree and what you were just talking about in terms of creating the physical distance um that's sometimes needed to gain that perspective for me it's it's mm-hmm. like the the mental and emotional distance that's required to to truly be able to assess and respond versus just get caught up in something and react Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to demonstrate how technically in, in profi- unproficient I am, uh, is is defragging still a thing on computers, or is that did that go away in like 2006? <laughs> I remember having to do that on my old computers. You know, you hit that, you know, Control Alt Delete and go into your defrag, um, and magically your computer would start working again. Uh, so I don't know if that's still a thing. Maybe I should do it. But uh, I think that that to me is is the meditation analogy. There is really just cleaning up all that extra junk and and getting it where it's supposed to be um assuming that's what i was doing when i was defragging my computer. Uh, but yeah uh, john i would but, i'd say defragging is is it, it was a thing it's not really much anymore with with the flash based storage i knew um, that yeah totally. fancy way for saying you know things don't have physical drives that spin much anymore uh-huh. um but to equate it to someone's no, newer terms right that you know, a younger audience might understand is that I, I equate it to Chrome tabs, right? How many tabs mm. do you leave open on your browser because you think you're going to go back to them later? To me, I have my browser set that it closes everything. When I close it, it's dead to me, right? Like that tab is gone. Um, so I would say, you know, if you're going to use that analogy, the browser tabs, how many tabs do you have open at a time and how many browser windows do you have is, is the equivalent to the defrag and flush that sucker out. <laughs> <laughs> that's right it just adds to your latency right <laughs> especially if it's chrome yes <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah so yeah. so if you're looking for ways to reduce drag john mm-hmm. <laughs> well that's why i shaved my head Extremely. yeah you and me you and me both you know it just gives you that aerodynamic edge there you go so i guess i, I just I gotta think... go a little bit more huh yeah yeah you'll you're get close. there one day <laughs> if you're old enough to remember defragging your computer i mean you know that's you're right yeah losing your hair um, oh my goodness 
So I think it's funny. We've kind of bounced when we originally started with, with unplugging, we talked about, you know, Brian going to the, to the other side of the world for a little while. And I think there's that, like, maybe it's, maybe it's macro <laughs> unplugging and, and micro unplugging. There's, there's these little strategies throughout the day, right? Like, can you spend 15 minutes meditating, five minutes meditating? Can you close all your browser windows um, versus can you really unplug for a length of time, two, three days, maybe a week, two weeks, depending on what, what you're able to do. Um, so what are your guys' thoughts on, on the differences or, or similarities and the importance between those two? I think, I think it's really similar, right? Like, like you said that, now nowadays like it's really hard to completely unplug right i have a phone sitting right here next to me that has you know god knows what apps on it and email and stuff and it can be difficult to be completely disconnected um but i i have done things myself to kind of disconnect more it's like hey let's just get rid of social media apps on my phone right look at the timers inside of your phone and see where you're spending your time like Brian said, you know, spending five minutes a day meditating, well, you can find five minutes somewhere. You just haven't decided that those five minutes are important to you, right? But you just got to find a reason to have those five minutes. Uh, but just like any time, you know, like at, at work, something crazy is going to happen. Servers melting down again. I hate to keep using that. But anyone who's worked in tech has probably been through that or, or a network outage. That's when it's all hands on deck and you're completely immersed in your work and you're probably ignoring 90% of everything else that's going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like it's a little give and take, right? And I notice the unplugging more for me when I'm on vacation with my family, right? It's easy to be on an airplane or something and not interacting with kids <laughs> because like you feel like you have time, right? Um, there's certain times when you got to realize that, you know, it's more important to be present where you are as opposed to being on your phone and that ends my side tangent on the little <laughs> glass rectangles that we have. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th I think the first point that I think of is the fact that expectations have shifted so much that everyone is always going to be reachable in some way. And so I, I think in order to be effective, particularly from a leadership perspective, you really truly need to communicate when you're going to be away and you've still got some kind of mobile access or just text me if you need something, you know, kind of, kind of comment versus really letting people know, Hey, I'm going to be off grid. <laughs> right? I'm not reachable for the next seven days or whatever it is. Um, you know, because that's, that's an important part of communication and an always on kind of world like we live in today and from a leadership perspective you know you may truly be needed for something and you may truly need to have some form of fallback if an emergency should arise that truly you know demands your attention um but to be fair to yourself you know i, I think back probably to my father's generation the idea that you'd go on go on vacation you know this this was in days before cell phones so uh, unless someone had like a specific itinerary for you and they knew that you're going to be staying in the best Western in Banff, Alberta, you know, they, they really had no idea how to track you down. They just had to figure some things out on their own. Um, so, you know, again, from a leadership perspective, making sure that people are equipped with what they need in your absence in order to be successful or to execute or make decisions when, when you're not around, I think all of those things are, are really incumbent on you as a leader today. And, and they're, 
they're part of, I think, just the unspoken expectations that, you know, I commonly encounter. Uh, I know that all of us have talked before about establishing working agreements and what that means for a team. You know, this is the kind of thing that uh, essentially can be set, uh, you know, clearly as a communication in a working agreement for a team so that those things are just always, you know, front and center. So everyone everyone knows what the expectation is and everyone knows the definitions behind what certain types of unplugging really means. Yeah, I think that's really important, Brian. We you know, you you teach people how to treat, right? So there's the there's the norms and, and standards in your workplace with hey when when you're on vacation be on vacation, but you have to stick to it yourself too, right? Um, I I also recently just took about a week and a half uh, vacation and I really did my best to really unplug. Um, I didn't bring my work computer. I didn't log in. I didn't. Um, so there, there was that. At, and I, I think like maybe one day I just checked in. Hey, how's everything going? And in and, and one sense, that just gave me peace of mind to be able to relax. I knew it was fine. Um, but just want to make sure I'm checking in. How's everything doing? I had put somebody in place as you know, the acting manager. So wanted to make sure she was doing all right. And unsurprisingly, she's excellent and did a great job. Um, but there, there's kind of two threads here. One, you know, going back to that training people how to treat you. If if I said I was on vacation, but I logged in anymore every morning and was checking in every morning and answering emails, well, then people are going to email you. Um, they don't always know that you're <laughs> on vacation, especially depending on who it is or, well, John will answer anyway. You know, it's fine. Just, just hit him up. Um, but the other side of it to me is making sure that if you're in the leadership positioning that, and I think you alluded to this a little bit yourself, but are you training the team to be able to act in your absence so they don't need you? Um, you know, the, the the feeling like you need to be needed is is not necessarily a net leadership positive. You know, the true mark of good leadership really is. You know, what happens when you're not there? Um, do you have somebody that can step up and be an acting manager while you're not there? That's that's capable. And, and you know, you put support systems in place. Hey, if something's really truly urgent, here's my cell phone number. You know, I'll be on vacation. I'll try to answer. Um, you know, this manager over here can help you out. All those sorts of things. But um, are you building a team that can function without you? Um, for exactly the reason you mentioned, Brian, you know, it wasn't that long ago that you couldn't reach me. Um, so figure it out. Right. Um, and figure it out. Isn't the right answer either. It's as a leader, am I training my people to be able to do this stuff so that I can unplug? Um, and I think that's something that some leaders feel guilty about, uh, as well as, you know, my team's working hard and I'm taking the day to go play golf. It's like, well, you're 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 here to do different things now. You're not there to turn out the widget. You're there to enable that to happen and to train leaders. Um, so you you can kind of get over that guilt by understanding that your absence can be a good thing. It can be an experience for somebody, and and that the place isn't going to fall apart if you're not there. Um, and that only sets you up for future success because you have time to look at the big picture and be strategic and all those other things. That's all really great points, John. And I'd like to add to it's like. If you have a fear of going on vacation that something won't happen, then you probably need to look at your succession planning or your training and development um, documentation. There, there's some gaps missing there if you're completely terrified of it happening. And, and a lot of times those those fears really um, aren't justified, right? You, you think something's going to melt down or something terrible's going to happen or somebody can't handle it, and you come back and you find out everything's fine, right? Mm -hmm. Even if something happened, a lot of times people have a tendency to – um, step up and and kind of fill in for you and, and help fill in the gaps. And if you've been a leader of a team for a particularly long time, they might even have the tendency to know, like, hey, I know what John would say about this, mm -hmm. right? Like, there's there's certain people 
that you work with, and you're like, okay, I already know what John's going to say, and I don't even have to ask him, but I'm going to ask him anyways because that's what we do, right? Mm -hmm. I know what he's going to say. Um, <laughs> so if you're not feeling along those lines and you don't discover you have that, I, I would say take a step back and look at your training and development, look at your succession planning, look at everything from a high level and see if you're missing in those gaps. And maybe you have them and, and your fear is just not justified, right? You need to just go on vacation, let it happen, and, and um, see what happens, right? See where you lay, right? It's, it's that uh, real-world testing, right, Brian? We create <laughs> software in a sandbox, we do everything, and then we launch it live to the world, and we don't know how it's going to work till it actually goes live to the world, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, you're not supposed to use it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a that's nickel the... for every time my parents said that to me. No. <laughs> well, I think there's also an inverse to all of this, which is certain people really don't know how to unplug. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of that, I think, comes particularly in Western society um, from this just ongoing need to be driven. Right, we we tend to have this professional respect for people who are just too busy. Right, it's when when you encounter somebody and their, you know, their schedule is completely log jammed and they're just swinging from one meeting to another, and you know, there's some degree of uh, being frantic in you know their their approach to everything. You know, in Western society where you know we really cherish the the qualities of quote unquote high performance. When we see high performance individuals like that, we, we tend to, you know, that's, that's something that we aspire to, right? It's, <laughs> wow. They must be really important. They're so in demand and, you know, they're, they're constantly, you know, swinging from one vine to another. But again, I, you know, I, I think, um, actually, I think there was, a, a like a, a little chapter blurb in, um, in the book, don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all sm small stuff. Um, that that refers specifically to that. You know, if if you find yourself in a place where you're approaching everything with this always-on sense of urgency, then you're doing a discredit to yourself, and you're doing a discredit to to whatever it is that you're trying to put your focus onto, because there's just not really enough capacity and. Uh, again, going back to meditation, I think if, you know, I, I've tried to train my son this way as well. You know, if, if you're confronted with something that's stressful or causing you some anxiety, uh, I like to remind him, you already know a tool to address that, right? And it doesn't have to be this big, lengthy, uh, you know, elaborate ritual. It can be just as simple as stopping. Taking a breath, composing yourself, recognizing this is not an emergency, and everything that I'm dealing with is not an emergency. And it, it may have an importance and priority right now, but until you can actually gain composure to address that, I personally think that you're, you're missing a lot of what you come equipped with uh, as an individual to be able to solve those types of challenges. Yeah, I'd agree, Brian. And I, I think that something I was thinking of a little bit when both of you were talking is sometimes it's almost a, a little bit of hubris or self-centeredness that, you know, oh, this place will fall apart without me. Um, and, you know, sometimes reminding myself like, hey, man, you're just not that important. Uh, <laughs> you know, 
you know, you're important. You got a job here. They're paying you a salary and, and there's a reason you have this job and people rely on you. But, um, you know, there, there are few people, I think, who, if they weren't there, the entire organization would fall apart. You know, if they weren't there for a week, you can take a vacation. Um, we'll figure it out. There's more than one person working here. Now, that's a little bit different in entrepreneurship, you know, especially when you're getting started. You are the business. There's some long nights, some long days. Um, but hopefully in that time, you're you're setting up systems and, and strategies so that eventually you're not the entire business. Um, and I think that's that's true for your team, too. And it, I'm just, you know, wholly unimpressed these days by how many emails a person answers or how many hours they work or now again, there's a, there's a caveat to that. There's some people that really bust their butt to provide for their family and they're doing the best they can to make ends meet and they're working 80 hours a week. And man, that's, there's some noble, noble people doing that kind of stuff. Um, but if you're, you know, a middle-class, upper-middle-class desk job kind of person and you're just grinding because you think that's what it's supposed to be, it's like, man, what, to what end? For what? You're working 80 hours a week for the same paycheck to do, to do what? Um, it doesn't mean you can't go a little bit above and beyond. I think, you know, that extra 10% separates a lot of people from, from the general population. And that's great. You know, good extra conscientious effort is always a good thing. But, um, I think you, you get to that place and where the real success comes from is again, kind of detaching and realizing, okay, I'm not that important. Um, how can I build systems so I don't have to be here? How can I build other people so this place runs well, regardless of whether I'm here? Um, can I be here, you know, to Nick's point? Well, I already know what John would say. Can I be here without really being here? What kind of legacy am I leaving on this workplace or on this team or on this group of people as opposed to my direct input being needed every time? Because um, I don't want to feel selfish that way. I don't want to feel like my voice needs to be in every conversation. I want people to be able to handle it. I don't want to, you know, hinder their growth. Um, it's nothing that makes me happier than an employer saying, hey, John, I know you got invited to that meeting, but I got it. I don't got to be there. Maybe we have a quick conversation. Okay, well, here's some questions I think might come up, but are you ready to answer those? Yep, yep, got it. Here's what I plan to say. Here's the, okay, great, awesome. That's like one less thing John has to do this week and I ain't gonna lose any sleep over that. Might get something back actually. Um, but I've worked with leaders who feel like they just need to control all that stuff. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that probably comes from a variety of places for them. There's probably some introspection and, and meditation that, that they should do uh, to overcome that, but understanding that it's it's really not a, a positive long-term strategy for anybody you or the organization uh, is an important realization i made a long time ago when i when i really was burned out um and you know to, to close this long rambling entire <laughs> drive here I, I remember the first time i really got burned out and i was in my you know early to mid-20s i think and I, I finally took like two weeks of vacation straight up and it took me a week to like not snap at people like my fan like I remember just like losing it on my dad one day, not like screaming, but like totally reacted like totally inappropriately to something that was like completely unimportant. And I'm just like, dude, you're sitting here with a glass of scotch in your hand, the TV's on and you don't have anything to do. And you just snapped at your dad for whatever, like, whoa, man, like what is going on here? Um, and it just kind of occurred to me in that week. And then finally, by the second week, it was like, okay, John's back. I'm fine. I'm happy, whatever. But, um, Anyway, it's a, it's a long story, but but having some of those tools and triggers, like you were talking about, Brian, with with your son, that like I can handle these situations, right? I feel I know I'm noticing when I'm getting a little revved up or amped up or burned out about something, um, and there's some micro things I can do in the moment, maybe a deep breath, 
or, you know, having the conviction to say, okay, it's time for a vacation. I know there's a lot going on. It might not be super convenient, but there's never a good time. There's always something that needs to be done. Um, put it on the calendar, unplug uh, you and everyone around you. Believe me, <laughs> we'll, we'll be better for it in the long run. That's right. It might be one of those indicators if when you come back from your vacation, the people around you are like, man, that was great having you gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, those are that another indicators, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> like, we need to get rid of this guy. <laughs> I was just glad so I still much. had, I was just glad I still had network access when I came back from vacation. I thought they were going <laughs> to. I'm so much more productive when you're not in the office. Yeah, <laughs> it's true that you say that. Like, I I remember talking to uh, one CIO at an organization, and, and their whole organization's policy was that when people are on vacation, IT locks them out of their accounts for the duration of their vacation. Um, which I thought was pretty interesting. It's it's a forced unplugging, right? You can't access your email. You can't access your Salesforce data. You can't access anything company related um and it, it was this one thing where they just came to realize it's like hey people are on vacation but they're not really on vacation they're still answering emails they're still you know logging on the teams let's just lock them out and for them you know like i guess they had good policies in place and great training and great core values and whatever great culture um that it didn't have a negative impact on their business at all. It actually had a positive impact, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. You're hearing more and more um, organizations are starting to do something like that. Maybe not as extreme as locking them out so they can access, but you know, asking them like, "Hey, when you're on vacation, be on vacation. Just uh, you know, have someone who works with you um, or designate somebody who can be a decision maker or something while you're gone." Uh, like you said, John, if you know the you know the place is burning down you're still reachable, right? There's still a telephone, mm -hmm. right? You can still call somebody on a phone. You know, it's weird. These rectangles have a phone on them. Uh, you, can still, you can still call people. I deleted that app. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I deleted that app. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just thought that was really interesting when I talked to them. And this is, you know, an organization that's not that old. And, you know, they, they've probably been around for about 20 years. Uh, so if they can do it, 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 it's probably possible for more organizations to do it. It's possible for you as an individual to unplug, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. Well, you know, as we were talking about gearing up for this uh, for this episode, so there's um, there's this book that you know I, I just kind of keep it laying around, actually, like in different rooms in the house. Sometimes if guests come and stay, I'll leave it in the guest room or something. But um, you know, there's there's all sorts of little handy tidbits in it. <laughs> Instituted No Tech Tuesday. Um, you know, some of these things are maybe a little less uh, realistic, depending on you know what your workload is or how busy your schedule is, but just in terms of helping you be the best that you can be by not always being connected to your devices and you know your Wi-Fi. Um, this, this is one that I bookmarked because I, I, I really like the message on on uh, on both these pages. There's someone else I'm really checking. I like it. Yeah, so so uh, you know really check in. I think I think that's that one says something to me because you hear that phrase it feels like so often you know hey it's just checking in with you 
but are you really checking in? You know, are are you mm-hmm. checking in because you felt like you needed to check the box, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or are you checking in because you you truly you can see that something's amiss? And as a friend or as a colleague or uh, as a manager, um, you, you want to really make sure. Hey, I I need to devote a little bit of space to this person and mm-hmm. make sure that everything's you know copacetic. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, tell me, Brian, the... I shouldn't do a check-in yeah. with somebody and just talk constantly the whole time we're checking in. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. I wanted to check in with you, Nick, because you know I could see how you're feeling, and let me tell you a little bit about what I think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Please do elaborate. <laughs> you know, Brian, you just made me think of a, a story that happened just just recently, actually. That that about broke my heart as much as you can break my heart at work, which isn't too much. But, um, you know, one of my employees, uh, who's really, really hardworking and, and has a high demand job. Um, we finally got this person to take some vacations. Like, Hey, we'll figure it out. You have, you know, take a week. Uh, you're, you're coming up on your user lose time. Like I need you to take vacation. I can tell you're stressed. It's going to be a busy time coming up. Please take time. Um, so we finally got this person to do it. And then we were in a meeting not long ago and, Hey, how was your vacation? That was good. I got to see my, you know, my family, whatever. Um, and, and I jokingly said, you know, well, all right, we'll be honest. How many, how much did you work while you're on vacation? Expecting, no, no, I really unplugged. Um, and it was just kind of a sad smile about probably three to four hours a day. And I said, what, excuse me? You know, I, I had this person had answered a few emails once or twice while they were on leave, our leave overlapped a little bit, but I, I sent like kind of a friendly, Hey, and by the way, stop checking your email. You're on leave. Um, thinking that maybe they were just checking in quickly like I did. Um, it turned out this person was working through their whole vacation and like, man, that what a manager fail for me. You know, how, how did I not make it clear that, or how have I not made it clear that we, it is really okay to take vacation. This place will not fall down. And, and this is a different situation than that. I'm unimpressed by how hard you work scenario that I was ranting about earlier. I mean, this is a really, truly conscientious person. Um, with a high demand job directly supporting leadership at the, at the, where I work and, and they, they want to make sure things don't fall through the cracks and, and that we're short staffed. And, um, and man, I, that was a failure on my part. This isn't a self-important, you know, self-centered person. Like, uh, so anyway, that's something I'm working on fixing here is, Hey, when you're on vacation, you, you need to be on vacation. Cause I can see it. You, your, your moments from burning out here. We, and, and that doesn't do anybody any good. And I certainly don't want to lose you as an employee. So um, for whatever that's worth, do check in on your people and, and do it genuinely. And, and what you think's going on might might not always be the case, especially with your high performers. Um, your high performer, positive, always getting the work done, always on time, always has a smile on their face. Um, I would argue might be your most likely to be approaching burnout because they're good at just keeping it moving and plugging along and, and thinking it's what they should do. So. That's my my leadership lesson for for the not too distant past. Here is something I'm working on with my team. Yeah, if the term workcation is in your corporate vocabulary anywhere, mm-hmm. e- even if it's tongue in cheek, that yeah. that again is probably another indicator. <laughs> There's some work yeah. to be done. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. The difficult part in this situation was was how I didn't think that was even close to on the table. Like I, I felt like I couldn't have been any more clear, like, Hey, take vacation. Um, 
But I think there's there's what you say as a manager, and then there's all these other forces in the organization in the world that are pushing maybe in a different direction. Um, and, and in some roles, yeah, I, I supervise this person, but there's there are a lot of people who are higher up on the org chart that, that have demands of this person um, regularly, and uh, I'm not sure I accounted for that. So again, detach, see the whole board, and make sure you're uh, – you're making solutions that that work across the the network of possibilities <laughs> might be the way of phrasing it. But. I want to ask you one question about that, John. Mm-hmm. To what degree do you think this particular employee might have had some kind of latent fear that if they weren't doing some kind of work and they they truly were on a hundred percent PTO, that um, it might be detrimental to their career path? You know, I don't think it's a career path thing. Um, this person's, you know, relatively high up. They're successful. They, you know, they're, they're, and they, they're, there's a high sense, I think, of psychological safety about this person's job being secure or their ability to work somewhere else if they wanted to. That's, that I don't think was it. Um, I think the, the demand part and, and who this person has to respond to on a regular basis and who they do a lot of their, who a lot of their product is for, um, trying to be, vague to, to protect the innocent <laughs> but uh <laughs> but you know i i think it really again i think it was a it was a consequence of conscientiousness almost it's it's they really feel and we were, we're short-staffed um particularly in this area um and we we just we're going to be losing a, a person temporarily in this area so that so that now that's almost doubled the work on this person mm. it hasn't because we're, we're mitigating it and, and we're putting people in place to make sure but it feels like there's a lot of pressure and i understand that from this person's perspective so um you know i think brian your question's a good one because that's probably what i went to went into it with you know so-and-so's they're great phenomenal employee never had anything but an outstanding performance review total psychological safety here open door policy i pretty much let them run their show the way they want to, which is great for me because they're a great employee. Um, but I think there was just that, that other side of it that I hadn't considered, you know, is this the kind of person mm-hmm. who really will unplug if I ask them to, um, or are they going to feel like, well, there's stuff that's going to get done and I'm getting these emails and, and I know it just needs to happen otherwise, or, you know, one of the alternatives <laughs> to give a long answer to your question is, is maybe, okay, it will be great to unplug for a week, but all that work's going to be waiting for me when I get back. Um, and did I do a good enough job making sure that I was helping them hand off tasks or that, you know, it'd be okay if this thing wasn't done or if, you know, it doesn't have to be your best rock star version of this product. Like this will do, we can, we can make do with some of these things, um, so that you actually can unplug and come back refreshed to do that high caliber work that I know you can. So, um, again, I think I, you know, see the forest for the trees. That's something I always say. Um, and, and I think maybe I was missing a few of the trees in the forest, uh, in this time around. So, you know, it's not, it's nothing unreconcilable. We can, we can fix it. And it, in some sense, it's a good problem to have, you know, you love as a manager, you know, I love that drive from somebody. And that, again, that conscientiousness that like, I don't want to let anything drop. I and mean, that's great. That's the kind of person I want to hire. Um, but it also means you have to be vigilant for them because people like that won't, won't do it for themselves. And and I used to be that way again, to go back to my earlier burnout attitude was like, I'll work, 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 work. Um, and it took me some time and some of that introspection and meditation and all that stuff we talk about to realize like, Hey, there's a better way here. Um, and it's, it's not all on you. And is it going to matter in 15 years, whether that thing got done? Probably not. If you say no to the answer to that question for everything, well, eventually those things compile <laughs> and it's going to matter in 15 years. You, know, you got to get out of bed. Right. You have to have a job. You got to save money. Um, but 
um, some of those strategies that we've talked about are important. Um, and it's your job as the manager to look out for people, especially when there's a high stress environment, um, going on that, that might not be for everybody else, but this person might be stressed. Does yeah, that answer I, your I, question? <laughs> <laughs> now that I talked for a half an hour. I, I think so. And, you know, I'll let Nick jump in, but I, I'm also thinking more generally, I, I'm curious, you know, how often is that a real factor for certain people in the workplace? Yeah, I, I would say to, to, you know, go back to John's story. I worked at a large consulting firm, one of the, one of the big foyers at one point in time. Um, and, and there was a culture there of that you just worked on vacation right because you're going to bill as many hours as you could possibly bill so you're going to work if they need you to work um and so sometimes it's not uh on the individual manager maybe they say don't plug but like you said like higher up sometimes can be reaching across there over you demanding work of another individual that's on your team and those are the areas where, where it's very difficult to manage that for the employee, right? When someone's reaching down above you saying, hey, we need this work product. We need this tomorrow when you really want your employees to, to unplug. Um, so it's it's not an uncommon situation. <laughs> like I said, when I worked at a large consulting firm, that, that, was, that was the culture there. You're going to bill hours. Um, I remember, so this is a side note, I remember having discussions with, with people and they're like, uh, you know, you need to take a later flight. You haven't missed a flight yet. Uh, you need to take a later flight so that you can bill some more hours. <laughs> like, oh my goodness! So it's it's just a whole uh, company culture thing, you know, can can drive some of that to uh, when you're making your best effort as a leader to make sure that that's not happening. Yeah, Nick, that's a really good point, and I think part of um, I'll just kind of put it bluntly: where I work, there's a lot of lawyers um, who aren't necessarily at a firm. I don't work at a law firm, but. A lot of people worked at law firms previously and maybe especially the folks that are in leadership positions or high level positions. So there is that I've never worked in a law firm, but I'm, I'm told or, or it seems to be that there is that, you know, work till you drop atmosphere at some of those. And, you know, in one sense, I think that can be fine. Hey, if you're 20 to you know 35 and maybe don't have a family or you're young and single and like you want to bust your butt 80 hours a week because there's a partnership and getting your name on the wall at the end of it for you and a million dollar salary. Okay. Like fair, there's a time and a season for that. Um, but again, you have to make sure that the expectations match up with the culture and the positions of these people. You know, I, it's no secret. I, I try to protect the innocent, but I don't think it's a secret that I work for the federal government. You know, there's trade-offs. There's, <laughs> there's a reason some of these very talented, um, highly skilled, highly credentialed people work in government. Um, not as political appointees. It's because I want to work 40 hours a week. I did the grind. I did those things. Um, I'm willing to take a little bit of a pay cut um, or a little bit of a location cut or whatever it might be to know that I can be at my kid's t-ball game or that I can take vacation. Um, and, if, and if you're breaking that social con uh, contract with your people, um, again, every once in a while, things are going to happen. A server is going to melt down, <laughs> to use the go-to example. Um, but it shouldn't be all the time, and, and you, you need to build that culture of psychological safety where, look, we work 40 hours a week around here most of the time. We do a really good job in those 40 hours, um, but I think I've said it before. I really love the quote. You know, There are no, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. You want more you want more cowbell? You know, the, Something else is going to suffer on the back end, so we got to figure out what that is. We work 40 to 50 hours a week around here, um, and that just is the way it is. So. Anyway, for whatever that's worth. 
There you go. The old triple constraint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> I, I think I think we should finish things off. You know, I don't I don't know if I referenced the title of this book. I think I just showed it on the screen. But um, for those who are listening, the book that I referenced is Unplug Every Day, 365 Ways to Log Off and Live Better. So my recommendation is we're just going to do a, a just a quick flip to a random page. Oh, and look at that. There you go. How's how's that for uh, for a quality message to, uh, leave to kind of button things? Leave work behind up. for those who are listening <laughs> and not watching. Just leave right. work behind. Leave work behind. I like it. All right. It seems like an effective message. It's sort of like, you know, a, a 365-sided uh, magic eight ball, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess with that, any other closing remarks, <laughs> Ryan? Do you, do you have a book or John? I know you mentioned a couple. John Atomic Habits was one. Um, yeah, is there, is there uh, any other yeah, stuff? Atomic Habits and the Power of Habit. Uh, I think Charles Duhigg is is a good one. And um, yeah, this might be a, a little bit of a, a non sequitur, but um, I'm trying to think of, of the the book. I'm for I'm blanking on the title, but but the bottom line is you know. I think Brian made a good point there with leave work behind is that, you know, where are you spending your time? Is it, is it in a place that matters? And for some folks work is your whole life and and that's fine. You know, I'm not here to judge anybody's personal life choices, but um, I do my best to get fulfillment out of things outside of work. Work is a means to an end. I like to be fulfilled in my work. I love leading people. I love some of the things I do. It's not that it's unimportant, but um, you know, if you had to, if I had to get up every morning and choose whether I'm logging in to do my, federal job or spending time with my about to be one year old baby, like easy choice. Right. So, um, I'm doing, again, there's no solutions. There's only trade-offs. So I'm trading 40 to 50 hours a week of my time to be able to do those other things that I want to do. Um, and that perspective for me has really been game changing in, in how worked up I let myself get about work or whether I'm willing to unplug or whether I'm going to answer emails after hours. Um, does this really matter? Is this more important than this time with my daughter or my health, you know, I need, I'm going to go work out or I'm going to do whatever. Um, and having that balance with how can I still be effective and earn the paycheck that, that people are paying me? You know, it's not about dropping the ball and saying, this isn't important. Um, but where are you really getting your fulfillment? Where's that center for you? So the, the book I was thinking of flew right out of my head, but that was the, the point I wanted to make. Well, I've oh, already referenced time. mine. Un- unplug every day i think is uh it's it's a good one it's particularly if you uh if, if you're looking for strategies that you can use if you're the type of person who believes that always on is actually a net positive <laughs> might be uh, a good thing or or maybe a friend uh you know can drop it in your stocking stuffer <laughs> I'll expect my mail shortly, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got a much longer book for you, pal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm a little scared. I don't know. <laughs> don't know what to make of that comment. <laughs> yeah, the, the one I was going to recommend was the one that John had already said was Atomic Habits. Um, and then I guess for listeners, I, I would say, you know, since we're talking about unplugging a while ago, a few seasons back, we had Natalie Johnson. Uh, and, and her whole thing was about unplugging. Um, 
and kind of getting away from work. And she, uh, if I remember, it's like Human Performance Institute or something, right, Brian? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so if you go back and listen to that episode, that's that's a great resource as well too. And some of the stuff that she um, and her organization puts out really is really great along those lines. With that, um, we thank everybody for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, if you could hit the subscribe button, if you like what we say, um, give us a thumbs out. really helps with the algorithm. Uh, leave an emoji comment. Uh, roast Brian or, or roast me or roast John. I don't, we don't care. Uh, just leave us a comment there um, so, we, so we know you're listening. Uh, if you're listening on any I, you know, iPod player or, or what the heck, iPod player? What the heck am I saying? Make sure you defrag <laughs> it first. Make sure you defrag sure you iPod player it. first. And then, uh... I guess I'm getting hung up because I'm reading this book, Build, by Tony Fidel. Um, and he was one of the founders of, well, not founders, but he was on the first iPod team. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe that's just first on mine. But I digress. So if <laughs> back to what I was saying. If you're uh, listening on any podcast player uh, that has a rating, at all. If you could leave us some type of rating, some type of review, it just helps us reach um, more people, um, you know, reach our audience so that we can keep bringing great content, great things for you. Um, with that, do you gentlemen have anything else that I'm leaving out? Um, John's going to get a big book from Brian. We'll see what it is. Maybe he'll leave, open leave a comment. What do you think? What do you think the book is that Brian's going to leave? <laughs> Smack Webster's. me over the head with next time I see him. <laughs> It's a whole volume of Webster's uh, dictionaries. Or... <laughs> maybe it's one book. of those. In... <laughs> no, right. Encyclopedia it's Britannica. A Wikipedia. Uh-huh. And for, <laughs> for those of you that weren't old enough to defrag, defrag your computers, uh, a phone book was a, lo- a big lo- book with, with numbers in it of people <laughs> in your local area, and you would pick up the phone and dial real buttons, and you would call them on the phone. So. <laughs> or, or before the buttons, the, the dial. The I actually have a real I actually had one. Rotary dial, awesome. yep. yeah. And if you had a rotary phone and you you got to one of those push tone uh, answering things, you couldn't you couldn't answer the the, the yeah. machine <laughs> because you couldn't push the button. <laughs> yeah, yep. It needed the tone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now you just so have to yell, customer note, service. Talk to a representative. You just got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> on a side note, people think it's it's. Remember the. Uh, we call it pounds, right? If you're older, right? The little mm-hmm. thing, and then younger people call it hashtag, but it's actually called an octothorpe. It was created at AT and T. Someone should mm. fact check that for me, but I'm pretty sure that that's sounds like a marble van. Brian, yeah. <laughs> All right, with that, um, I don't have anything else.